Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a part of joining us every week as we continue to share the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. We've been sharing a series on the book of Hebrews, and this will be the third segment we've shared uh, on Hebrews chapter 6. In just a little while, we're going to jump into that. Uh, it, but I want to say, first of all, before I go into the Word, that if you have missed any of these programs and you would like to uh, uh, you go back and review them, because I think there's so much that I'm putting in these programs that if you can watch them consistently, one after the other, they really will help you understand some things. And if you'd like to do that, you can simply do that by going to our YouTube channel where you can watch on demand everything that we have aired to date. There is also a podcast that we have on iTunes, and there is an RSS feed for your Android device. If you'd like to get the audio portion, stream it through your car on your way to work is a good way to redeem the time and get the Word of God into your heart and life by doing that. Now the best and easiest way to do that is simply to go to lynnhiles.com and there is a link from there directly to our YouTube page, to our podcast, and that's the easiest way to do it. Or you could just put my name in the search engine and YouTube and all of our stuff will come up there on the channel and you can watch it on demand. I believe you'll be blessed by doing that. You can also sign up there and subscribe to our channel. It doesn't cost anything for you to do that. But when you do subscribe, you will receive an email telling you every time we upload a new program and, uh, or a new podcast. I also would encourage you to go to my website and order some of our books. I wrote a new book this year titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, and I think that this book would be a blessing to you because it really talks about uh, moving from law to grace and not just uh, what you turn from, but what you turn toward is the government of the kingdom. I'm not going to talk long about them just to mention these today, but Unforced Rhythms of Grace is also one of the books I've written, and I think you'll be powerfully blessed by that because it's from Matthew 11 where Jesus said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And then one of our most demanded pieces of material is the stuff we've taught on Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is from the first five books, or the first five chapters, I'm sorry, of the book of Revelation. And it's the letters to seven churches and what they need to repent of or change their mind about in order to enter into the kingdom or new covenant. If you're afraid of the book of Revelation, this book will set you free from fear. And you can go to our website and order that. Let's get in the Word today. Uh, I want to go back to Hebrews 6 again. And I want to mention again some things from here. It said, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world, this is literally the Greek word age, to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. 
For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister to the saints. Now, once again, he's writing the book of Hebrews to Hebrews. The Jewish mindset here is they are coming to the end of the whole system of Judaism. They are within three, I believe it is, three to four years of even their temple being destroyed, animal sacrifice, and everything that had to do with that old covenant was about to collapse and pass off of the scene. This writer of Hebrews is giving one of the most powerful arguments of legal treaties, I believe, of new covenant truth there is, and he's telling us all through the book of Hebrews what is better about the new covenant than the old. He is, these Hebrews are suffering the spoiling of their goods. They are losing loved ones in the arenas, uh, being killed in the uh, uh, Olympic arenas by animals and persecuted by Nero and, and on and on and on the devastation was. And they are tempted to go back to Judaism. But here's the, whoever it is that wrote this book of Hebrews, and he's saying to them, listen, let's go on. God has given us a permit. I shared last week how what I think this we will do if God permit is like a building permit. He's saying once you get the foundation secure, then you can build the building on it. And what he's saying is, is once you get this stuff changed in your own mind and, and your repentance, you, you, you've already established in your heart the principles or the elementary things about the doctrines about Christ. You got that. You know Jesus is Messiah. Then you can go on to a perfection. And we shared with you that this perfection that we go on to is not a verb, it's a noun in Hebrews 6. But we showed you in a prior segment that that perfection was never achieved under an old covenant commandment. There was not a commandment that could give life. There was, perfection was not by the Levitical system. But we showed you about two segments ago how that he says in Hebrews 10 that he has perfected forever them that are sanctified and that he sanctified us by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all so that our sanctification and our perfection in the new covenant is not based on our performance. It is based on a sacrifice. So based on what Jesus did in the sacrificial work of Calvary, I've been perfected forever and can stand in a state of perfection on the basis of that sacrifice, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And I said how that one of the biggest things we need to repent from is dead works and that old covenant rituals and sac sacrifices. And uh, he goes on to say, and, and one of the things we shared with you of doctrines of baptism, and we showed you how that that may not be just talking about new covenant water baptism, but how he was talking about moving away from the divers washings and the ceremonial cleansings and the laying on of hands where you put your hands on the head of the sacrificial animals and you confess your sin and then you you kill those animals. And, and then, you know, what he's saying is that we are moving away from that 
and we are understanding some stuff about the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus was raised for our, he was delivered for our offenses, but raised for our justification. And in that he died, he died once, but in that he was raised, he lives unto God. And that that resurrection gives us the power in this new covenant to live this resurrected life. And we talked about eternal judgment a little bit and talking about how Jesus fully met the judgment that was required of that old covenant. He tells us then we're going to leave behind those things and we are going to move into that which is perfect because that which is perfect is the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. That is that which is perfect which was to come was the perfect work of Jesus and His sacrificial work and the perfecting of us based on what He did in His death, burial, and resurrection. But when He says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world are the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. And then he starts talking about that the earth drinks in the rain that oft cometh upon it, and bringeth forth herbs and meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, is not a cursing, whose end is to be burned. Now what he begins to say, let me just say this to you, because one of the things that catches my attention is, he said, that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and not a cursing, whose end is to be burned. Uh, the one thing that sticks out to me is that the word Sinai, the word Sinai, where the law was given, the place where the law of Moses was given, is literally a word, Sinai means my thorn or the thorny places. So he's talking about here that which beareth thorns, that which is a part of the curse, that which is a part of this old covenant was nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Now let me just show you something here because this is going to help somebody immensely. Let me before I do that take you over here to chapter 10 because it's almost a repeat of the same thing again. And it is on the heels of him talking about the fact that we have been perfected forever uh, by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ and that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father from henceforth expecting to be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's Hebrews 10 verse 14. And then he begins to talk about wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for that after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith God, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds and will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let's draw near it with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He's faithful to the promised. Let me just skip down through because uh, uh, I don't want to get too bogged up. Verse 26 is what I'm after. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. For a, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose 
you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former things in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction, partly, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing yourself that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but unto them who believe to the saving of the soul. Now what I want to do with this is I want to take some of the fear out where I believe people have been absolutely tormented by some of these verses. In chapter 6, it's almost like a repeat of what I just read in chapter 10. But he says to them, if you, uh, it is, it's once you've been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and of the power of the age to come. What he's saying to them, listen, when I was young and I heard these two scriptures preached, it scared me to death. Matter of fact, I have two psychiatrists that buy product from me that have told me what I'm teaching out of these scriptures will cure their patients. Because most people that are in insane asylums, a lot of them think they've either blasphemed the Holy Ghost or committed the unpardonable sin. And what I heard preached from this terrified me. As a young man just getting saved, they said, if you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. I'm 16 years old. I just got saved and I'm thinking, I wish you'd have gave me that piece of information before I made a decision to get saved at age 16 because my chances of making it in now just got real slim. Because everybody that's listening to me right now, every, every, probably every person has sinned since they have been enlightened and tasted of the good Word of God. Not only did we sin, we did it willfully. We plotted it, we planned it, we carried it out, and we enjoyed it. If that's what this scripture means, then probably everybody that you know, including me, is lost forever. But what I want you to see is that's not what this scripture is talking about. What he's talking about in context here is moving away from the old covenant paradigms of works-based animal sacrifice, uh, old covenant ideas of divers washings and moving away from that. And he's saying that, listen, here these Hebrews are. They're 30 some years into the new covenant. And as you see in Hebrews 10, they've suffered the spoiling of their goods. They've been made a gazing stock and everything in them is some of them wanting to go back to Judaism. They are wanting to go back to the Old Covenant. So when he's talking about sin, the word sin means to miss the mark. What he's saying is if you sin willfully, in other words, once you've tasted of this new covenant, once you've tasted the power of the coming age and the freedom that's in Christ, and you've got an enlightenment of the, the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice 
that He completely did for you, if you go back and you sin willfully, if you miss the mark on purpose and go back to Judaism, and you go back to animal sacrifice, and you go back to temple service, and you go back to temple worship, and you go back to these rituals, and, and you go back to this, there, he's saying to them, listen, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, he's saying, not that you can't be saved, he's saying there's not another sacrifice coming. And so if you go back to offering the blood of bulls and goats, in order to do that, you have to walk back over the blood of Jesus, you have to trample the blood of the covenant and say, this is an unholy thing, because the moment you offer an animal sacrifice, you are doing despite to the Spirit of grace. That's one of the things that concerns me about some of the dispensational uh, eschatology that's being taught about a restored temple and a restored animal sacrifice and offering of the blood of a red heifer. That, to me, is sinning willfully and going back and doing despite to the Spirit of grace. I'm not going to offer no animal sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, and they never will be able to take away sin. The blood of Jesus must be uh, extolled and, and, and magnified and valued because what he's saying is to these, you tasted the good word of God. You heard the gospel of his grace. You tasted the power of the coming age. You saw the demonstration of the power. You've tasted of the Holy Ghost, not just this performance-based stuff, but you've got an indwelling Holy Ghost. And he said, if you fall away, you go back to that. It's tough to renew you back to repentance because you've changed your mind and gone back to all this stuff. And you've crucified to yourself the Son of God afresh, and you put Him to an open shame because what you're saying is the blood of Jesus is not enough. I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is enough. And then he begins to come and say, For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes oft upon it brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it was dressed, receives the blessing from God. In other words, he said, you can stand here and receive the blessing from God as the earth draws in the rain and receive from the seed that's coming from that and receive the blessing. Or, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. And I shared with you a few moments ago how the word Sinai means my thorns. So he's saying everything that's flowing from this, this, this dead works, this old covenant paradigm, it bears thorns and briars. And it's rejected. And it's not a cursing whose end is to be burned. In other words, what happened, even as he's speaking these things, is within, I believe it was four years of the writing of the book of Hebrews, this whole system of religion with all of its divers washings, with its sacrificial system, with its Levitical priesthood, with its all of the stuff that went, with all of its trappings was literally burnt to the ground by the Romans when they came into the city. There was not one stone left upon another that was not thrown down. But I like what Paul says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. In other words, we believe that you're not going to go back. We're convinced that you've seen some things here. And see, as I, I believe as he goes on through here, uh, that he's saying to them, look, we're persuaded that you're not going to go back. But as he goes on through into these later chapters in the book of Hebrews, as we come through, he's giving them more and more of a legal argument about what's better about this new covenant. And he even points them back to their heroes of faith. And he begins to point to them and say, listen, you're, we need, you need to remember 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You need to remember by faith these men did something in the visible realm that caused them to reach for something that was to come, except we, this group of people, these Hebrews, were not just reaching for something that was way off in the distant future. It was available to them right then. He's saying, don't go back. And as you get on over here into 10, again, it's almost like he, uh, re he, like he uh, reiterates again what he's saying and by saying to them, listen, don't go back. He's saying to them, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, a new and living way. It's going to be through the veil, that is to say his flesh. But he says, listen, he tells them, uh, if we sin willfully, after we've been received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, he's saying, not that you can't be saved. He said, there's not another sacrifice coming. And then he begins to say again, almost the same kind of wording that he used in chapter 6, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and has done despite to the Spirit of grace. He's not talking about you sin since you got saved. He's talking about if you go back to Judaism, if you go back to offering animal sacrifices, if you count the blood of Jesus as an unholy thing, if you think the blood of bulls and goats are going to do a better job, he's saying that you're doing despite to the spirit of grace. And what's happening is that you're about to receive some judgment that's about to come on that system. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will re recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight of affliction. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while they became companions of them that were so used. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to this stuff. You know, it's amazing to me how the, the American church is trying to become Jewish. God didn't call us to become Jewish. He be called us to become New Covenant Christians. I'm not trying to put anybody down uh, that is Jewish. I'm simply saying that he's telling them, listen, don't go back to this system that could not produce anything because it's about to be judged. It is thorns and thistles, and it is about to be burned. And he's saying to them, listen, the Lord will judge his people. And he's saying, uh, remember the days in which you were first illuminated. You endured a great affliction. Many of you were persecuted. You were made gazing stocks partly while you were become, or, or, or even being companions of them that were so used. But you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods and knowing yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of the world. Don't back down from your profession. Stay with this thing. Don't give it up. For you have need of patience after that you've done the will of God that you might receive the promise for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The just will live by faith. See, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, one of the key elements is, under the old covenant you live by fear, in the new covenant you live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, in other words, if you go back to that, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the soul. And I think it's so powerful that when you go on over here into the last few verses 
of uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I know I'm jumping through here. We'll, we'll cover these even more as we go. But he says uh, in the latter part of uh, Hebrews 12, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. That fire came in A.D. 70 at the destruction of that whole system. The thorns, the thistles, everything in them wants to go back. They're looking for the sights and the sounds of that old covenant system. He tells them in the the 12th chapter of Hebrews, For you did not come to the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, to fear and trembling. I think they were looking for the touchable, tangible feeling of what they had celebrated for 1,500 years of their old religion. They're looking for the smells of the burning incense, the sound of the dying sheep, the procession of the priesthood of Levi as it would enter the temple. They're looking for all the sights and the sounds. And God is saying to them, you've not come to that kind of a mountain. You've not come to a touchable, tangible. You've not come to this kind of a mountain, but you've come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. It's not the touchable, tangible any longer. It is the spiritual, but it is the eternal that you've come to. And since you've come to that, and since you've tasted the power of the coming age, don't go back. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to animal sacrifices. Don't go back because if you do, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That ought to help somebody who's struggling with thinking, boy, there's no use, there's no help for me. I'm lost forever. God has completely forsaken me because I've sinned since I've been saved. And I sinned purposely, willfully. I can remember when I was a young boy thinking, man, I did something, said a bad word, did something, man, just in my moment of anger, I'm thinking, boy, I've lost forever. I've intentionally and purposely sinned, and now I've sinned willfully, and I blasphemed the Holy Ghost, and now there's no help for me. I'm telling you, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about missing the mark of going back to Judaism because that's the only way you can be cursed in the New Covenant. As Paul said, the only way you can curse people in the New Covenant is to put them back under the law. And we refuse to do that in this ministry. I trust you've been blessed by uh, today's program. That ought to help somebody. Listen, if you know somebody struggling with that, tell them to watch this program. Go to my YouTube, show it to them. They're They're not beyond God's help. They're not beyond God's reach. Grace, grace, and more grace to you. Uh, If you've enjoyed the program and you like what you're hearing, please uh, consider becoming a partner with us. Let me just also tell you something else we have available is our Message of the Month Club. And you can go online and sign up for this. But we have a Message of the Month, a message we send out on CD every month of somewhere we've been in the world. And uh, it will bless you. It is a subscription of $7 a month or $70 a year. And that partnership helps us take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of grace around the world. You can go to our website and do that, or you can call the number on that screen. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, you can also do that via the web. That's the easiest way to do it. Or call that number on the screen. Somebody will take your credit card. If you don't get an answer, we have a, a small staff. But leave a message if you want us to call you back, and we will try to call you back at the soonest we possibly can. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Join us again next week. 
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.